What's good? Welcome back to Cosigned. If you're new here, I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Sam. We're your host of this very real, raw, <laughs> and hilarious podcast. <laughs> you're gonna love it. So go ahead, grab your snacks, your coffee, your wine, whatever your advice is, and let's get into it. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Oh my god. Hey. 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 Can you hear me? Yeah, I forgot I had to log into my other account because I can't use ours. I'm working with one AirPod. Oh. Don't know where my other one is. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hello. Welcome hello. back. It's like Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. <laughs> uh, Sam is back this week it's with Tuesday. me. It's Tuesday. <laughs> and we have Madison, our honorary co-host. <laughs> literally like basically (laughs) obviously like I said last week we're gonna really dive into mental health awareness since it is May if you didn't know it's like the middle of May so I hope you do know and just kind of dive into what it is certain aspects of it and how we've dealt with it in our own personal lives In case you didn't know, Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States has been recognized every year in May since 1949. It was originally started by the National Association for Mental Health, known as Mental Health America, and the goals are to raise awareness about mental illness, offer screenings, and reduce the stigma surrounding mental health issues so more people will get tested and seek treatment. So why is Mental Health Awareness Month so necessary? One, because being human means that there will undoubtedly be times of sadness, grief, tension, and stress. Everyone should understand that there is absolutely no shame in struggling with poor mental health. This is why it's so important during Mental Health Awareness Month to foster understanding and educate people about the prevalence of mental illnesses. Poor mental health is far more common than most people realize, I think. Knowing that you are not alone in your struggles can be reassuring since depression and other mental health conditions can have you feeling isolated or alone, even if you may not be. Nearly 47 million adults in the United States, which is around one in five people, live with mental illness, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. That's a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So this is why it's extremely important that more than ever, really, to stay grounded in good habits and keep an eye and ear open for anyone who may need it. Definitely. I'm going to quickly go over five ways to keep a healthy mind. Number one, keep a regular routine. May sound simple, but many people have been home, like I said, more than work. Staying consistent and feeling useful is certainly an important key for safeguarding your mind. Number two, exercise and staying active. A little bit of consistent exercise will do wonders for your mental health. So if at all possible, get outside for at least 20 minutes or more each day, even if it's just in your backyard. 
Fresh air can have a positive impact and vitamin D is good for the immune system. And natural vitamin D from direct sunlight also increases the release of those feel-good neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, which improve and ward off depression. Um, Number three, connecting with other people. There are many ways to connect with family and friends, even if you cannot physically be around them, like phone calls or Zoom or FaceTiming and more. Simply talking on the phone can keep us feeling more connected and less isolated. And simply knowing that loved ones are safe and healthy will reduce the stress and anxiety of wondering how they are doing. And there are also a number of telehealth resources for anyone who may need or want virtual therapy or counseling instead of in-person therapy. Number four, helping others can help trigger the mesolimbic system in the brain, which promotes feelings of reward and releases neurotransmitters that make us happy. I know I feel good when I help people. Yeah. That's common sense to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Number five, a healthy diet, which is what I struggle with. (laughs) The cheeses. (laughs) The crispy (laughs) crisps. Okay, you know what? I I feel very attacked right now. (laughs) But a healthy diet, feeling physically energetic is a fixture of good mental health. It's easy to slip into the habit of eating salty and sugary snacks and actual healthy meals, but go out of your way to plan and cook balanced meals in healthy proportions and avoid drinking too much alcohol, which negatively affects our sleep and leads to decline in mental health, which I actually saw. I was actually listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and they were talking about weed and alcohol and how it's, it's like a weird effect on your brain, right? It actually will prevent you from falling into your REM sleep, like your dream state. And your brain is so insane. Like our brains are so insane to where they will actually keep account on how much dream state sleep that you've actually missed, like how many dreams you have not had. And when you finally come out of that, like when you finally basically sober up, it will give you back your dreams. Is that not weird? That's, that's yeah. So that's I wonder cool. if that's why it's like sometimes we dream all night long. Yeah. And we remember all of them. It's like yeah. all night long of like multiple dreams. Oh, that's amazing. That's it absolutely yeah. is incredible. But those are the five habits of fostering a healthy mind. I think it's really important to note before we really dive into everything that you can have depression and you can still make jokes and you can still smile. Yeah. You can sound confident and you can still have anxiety. You can be, you know, you can have suicidal thoughts and still show up to work appearing like you're fine. And mental health is invisible, like, to a lot of people. So you have to check in on your friends and your loved ones. But if you don't suffer from mental health or anxiety or depression or any of these things that we're going to talk about, I think it's very important that you educate yourself so that you know what it may look like in your children and your brother and your sister and your parents and your friends Mm -hmm. and be able to ask them if they need something. There are people who struggle in silence and just wish more than anything that someone will notice and someone will just be like, hey, are you okay? Or hey, how are yeah. you? Like, let's talk or, or anything. And that might be the make or break thing that saves that person. I mean, with you talking about alcohol, a lot of people use alcohol to cope with feelings, but it's proven that alcohol does cause depression. And yeah. when I was doing my research, they even said that, alcohol is involved in one fourth of all suicides and it really just makes you not think clearly not rational at all yeah 
since we're talking about mental health, a lot of people might say, okay, well, what is mental health? So mental health disorders refer to a wide range of mental health conditions, disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and your behavior. So some examples, not all, but some examples include anxiety disorders, like panic attacks, panic disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, and phobias, depression, bipolar disorder, and other mood disorders, eating disorders, personality disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, and psychotic disorders, including, but not limited to, schizophrenia. So we're going to go over a few of these disorders I just talked about and what we've actually found when looking into them more in depth. And we're not psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists in any way, but we're only going to speak from our personal experience and what we've gone through. Yeah. So I'm going to start with anxiety. All three of us suffer from anxiety. Interestingly enough, they don't all look the same. Our triggers are different. What we experience dealing with anxiety is different. It's not a linear thing. It's not just a one bubble and everyone falls into it. So how to be productive when you have anxiety. I find it important to start with your basics, right? You have to start with getting dressed, showering, brushing your teeth, just getting out of bed. You have to set realistic expectations, which was a part of, which is part of my issue. Yeah. You have to reward yourself after you accomplish certain things. Take breaks and space your work out. Don't just try to like force everything all in one day. You only have a certain amount of hours in the day. And some of those hours you have to sleep. So you can't possibly do everything in one day. Directly tackle what makes you anxious, which I think is interesting because not everybody, I don't think you want to face it all the time. I think it's easy to just be like, oh my God, like I'm stressed. I'm getting anxious about money. Okay, I'm not going to think about it. And that's kind of where you become more anxious because you're really not dealing with it, at least for me. And then you Mm -hmm. also have to ask for help. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help, which is another big thing for me. I don't like to do that. So some facts about anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illnesses. Women are two times more likely to be affected with anxiety other than men. Only one-third of people with anxiety actually get treatment or therapy. People can be diagnosed with anxiety as young as four years old. Anxiety disorders can affect 25% of children ages 13 to 18. And half of those diagnosed with anxiety disorder will also have depression. People with anxiety are more sensitive to facial expressions. And anxious people have a stronger sense of smell. Isn't that crazy? That's so weird. Which I can thinking like just for myself, like I'm like, oh, well, I have that. Especially like the facial expressions. Right. I've seen everything so like, okay, you just looked at me like that. Something's wrong. Like I'm just, this is just my face. (laughs) Um, So how can anxiety present itself physically? Irritability, fatigue, hypervigilance, nausea, racing thoughts, restlessness, a feeling of doom, and then lack of concentration. I do want to talk about what you may see when someone else may be dealing with anxiety. So what you see is someone who's always on time. What that person may be feeling is like an instant pit in their stomach if they think they're going to be like at least a minute late. Yeah. What you may see is a strong work ethic. 
But what they may be feeling is a fear of being fired over the littlest thing or disappointing somebody. What you may see is this person is always in control. Their feelings, something is going to go wrong if they don't do everything themselves. What you may see is someone good at planning. But what they may be feeling is a need to be prepared in case bad things A, B, or C, or D through Z may happen. What you may see is someone who is always organized. What you may be feeling or what they may be feeling is, oh my gosh, I have to be organized so I don't get overwhelmed and melt down. Basically, yeah. what, what you may see is someone who is super helpful. But what they may be feeling is, oh my gosh, if I say no, they're going to think that I just don't care. Yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the last one is you may see someone who was calm and composed, but they may be feeling, I just finished crying in the bathroom. I can do this. Mm. I know. Anxiety is silent and invisible. And sometimes we don't even realize that we ourselves are battling or someone we know is battling with it. And we just know that we feel weird and uneasy inside. So cut yourself some slack when your anxiety sets in and remind yourself that you are okay and everything is going to be fine. And I know that's easier said than done because when you're dealing with it, everything's just like, <gasps> yeah, right. There are many types of anxiety. So, but these are the most common generalized anxiety. It's a person who feels anxious on most days, worrying about lots of different things for a period of six months or more. Social anxiety, which is a thing. Oh, yeah. A person who has an intense fear of being criticized, embarrassed, or humiliated, even if in everyday situations, such as speaking publicly, eating in public, being assertive at work, or making small talk with people. Um, The next one are specific phobias. A person who feels very fearful about a particular object or situation and may go to great lengths to avoid them. For example, having an injection, like a shot, traveling on a plane, clowns, and there are many different types of phobias. Panic disorder, a person who has panic attacks which are very intense, overwhelming, and often uncontrollable feelings of anxiety combined with a range of physical symptoms. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, which I honestly didn't know that was a part of anxiety disorder. So this is new information to me. I didn't know either. But anyone who may have ongoing OCD will have unwanted and intrusive thoughts and fears that cause anxiety. Although the person may acknowledge these thoughts are silly, they often try to relieve their anxiety by carrying out certain behaviors or rituals. And then last but not least, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. This can happen after a person experiences a traumatic event, example, war, assault, accident, disaster, or loss. Symptoms can include difficulty relaxing, upsetting dreams, or flashbacks of the event and avoidance of anything related to their trauma. Maybe somebody has, you know, more than one of these. I know a few of these are relative to me. If someone tells you that PTSD is not real or, like, only pertains to war, that that's not true at all. No. Because you don't have to go to war to be traumatized. Right. Anything can set that off. But yeah, that's what I have for anxiety and maybe you didn't really know much about it and you've heard these this information and if something resonated with you, then I urge you to talk to somebody about it. And you so. know, it's interesting that you bring up OCD and phobias because I'm going to let Madison go, um, but I do have a lot of statistics and one of them for OCD 
60% of people with phobias and OCD are actually women. Wow. Wow. I wonder if that's because we, we have like more of a controlling nature. Yeah. You yeah. know, not necessarily Probably. controlling like negatively, like, but like we are, you know, we keep our households together. We keeping the homes together, all this. I wonder if that's just like genetically in our bones. In our, yeah. Some of these statistics I got are going to blow my mind. Bring it on home for us. <laughs> no, one thing to touch on really quickly, Mackenzie said was about like all of the feelings with anxiety, especially like social anxiety, which I feel like I've leaned more into the last year or so. And it kind of freaks me out because I'm not that like I am a I can talk to anyone really or I used to I'm a very outgoing bubbly person the last year or two years I've like become a hermit crab and I'm scared to do anything like I will literally inconvenience myself just so I don't feel that way or like because I oh I'll feel embarrassed or oh that's like things that should not even be embarrassing yeah but can I have extra sauce like I don't want to ask that they were probably so annoyed you know what I'm saying like that's that's how I feel that's a real thing <laughs> oh it's so bad all right it's Maddie go ahead and kick us off so depression is an imbalance of the in the neurotransmitters in your brain and they impact your mood regulation such as like dopamine serotonin etc um, which a lot of people know but it can become with hormones, seasonal changes, stress and trauma. And hormones, I mean, like pregnancy, things like that. Depression is just not ordinary sadness like people think it is. Being sad is a human. Depression is an illness with more symptoms than just being unhappy. Changes in appetite, weight, sleep patterns, which is what I dealt with. Um, decreased sex drive is a big one that people don't think about feeling anxious hopeless Um, you can have persistent empty or numbing feelings which I can relate to physical symptoms headaches digestive issues body aches pains loss of interest in things or low energy and trouble with memory concentration and decision making and a lot of these like if you go to a doctor or anything I have to do this like every year it has like a whole list. I feel like I just read a list of things I had to like check off at the doctor's office. Yeah. Are you, do you feel hopeless? Do you want to, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, it's or silly like, no, to read it on a piece of paper, but they are there. It's important to answer yeah. them honestly. So you can get the help that you need. I think a big one is that children are not immune to depression. It's not just in adults. It's not like you get to a certain age and you're like, oh, well, you can be affected by it now. Like, no, children can be affected by depression. They don't experience the same problems, obviously, that adults do, like work, finances, any of those adult stresses. But bullying and, like, peer acceptance is a big one. And I think I I dealt with that a lot in high school, which, I mean, I got... I got picked on in high school, you know, McKenzie knows I did not have the best high school experience. Um, And I don't even think it was because I was wanting to be accepted. I just, I think it's because I didn't want to do these things that I had to be accepted for. So therefore I got made fun of or whatever. But I, whenever I first started dealing with depression, I think we'll go more into our personal experiences in a little bit, but I felt like I was like weak, you know, or like nobody would understand or that people, I'm scared to talk about it. Yeah. And that was my biggest thing. But there's tons of therapy that can help with the treatment of depression, mm-hmm. depending on your n- unique situation. But things that could help is lifestyle changes, such as your diet, 
changing my diet helped a lot. Exercise is a big one too. I think like Sam said, it just helped it like resets you. And I still have trouble staying motivated with exercise, but it does help whenever I like I feel accomplished and like motivated to do more after I've finished a workout or yeah. gone for a run or gone for even a walk. You know, I feel better about myself. And yeah. then stress management is a huge one that can help with your with the changes in your depression. Because a lot of doctors are just like, oh, well, you're distressed or people just tell you you're stressed out. It's like, what am I stressed out about? I don't even know what I'm stressed out about. You're stressing me out telling me I'm stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> but untreated depression is a common cause of suicide for sure. And 45% of those who commit suicide are suffering from some sort of mental illness, which I feel is really sad because they don't want to talk about it. Like I went through that and I didn't want to talk to him about it to anybody because there's such a stigma around depression that it's like, oh, you're just sad. You're just a sad human being. It's like, no. Right. Or, well, what's wrong with you? You have all these things right. in your life. Exactly. Like, why are you sad? Me. What do you have to be sad about? Right. That's exactly. I was about to say mom or our mom. Whenever I first like told her, she was like upset at me because that's what that's what I told her. And she's like, well, what are you even depressed about? I, was like, I don't know. I don't even know. I wish I could tell you, you know, and you just wish you could tell somebody why you feel the way that you do, but you don't even know. So it bothers you more. Yeah. And I think that's what that's why a lot of people don't come forward or they don't even know that they they experience they experience these feelings. They acknowledge they experience these feelings, but they don't know what it is. So therefore, they can't talk about it or can't get the help that they need. So I think it's important to go to a doctor if you if you don't feel like you should be on medication or you don't want to be on medication. Like I was very skeptical about it. I have been on it for like three or four years now. But it does help. I was just going to say, and even if it's not a, something that you need medicine for, like your doctor will, or a professional will, will be able to point you in the right direction because right. even if medicine, medication is not something that you specifically want for yourself, even just talking to somebody, they could refer you to a therapist. They could, mm-hmm. refer, you know, all there's all kinds of things that can help, like you said. I mean, even like going to do yoga, do going to do Pilates, anything like meditation, any of that can help. There's, it doesn't have to be medically treated. It yeah, can yeah. definitely be within your exercise or diet or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I have quite a few statistics that, and the first one kind of interested me. So I was reading, it says 30% of men experience a period of depression or anxiety in their lifetime. Whereas 12% of women experience the same thing in their lifetime. But I was reading another article, even though men experience depression more, it says women are more likely to have been treated. So 29% of women get treated compared to 17% of men. Hmm. So even though men experience it more, it's just like we've talked about the stigma, like, Oh, be a man, you know, right. And (laughs) men are like so much less likely to get help for things. And, you know, a specialist in the blog was saying he thinks it's because women are more willing to talk about mental health Mm -hmm. than men are. Depression is more common in women than men, though. So one in four women will require treatment compared to one in 10 men getting treatment. Huge gap. Come on, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Even though women experience or get more help, it says men are more likely than women to have drug and alcohol problems. So they did a study in the UK 
and it says 67% of British people consume alcohol at hazardous levels. So out of the people that consume that alcohol, 80% of those dependent on alcohol are men. Wow. And 69% of those dependent on illegal drugs are also men. That's a high number. Yeah. So mental health problems affect men and women equally, but some are more common among women. Abuse is often a factor in women's mental health problems. And they say treatments need to make sure that they are gender specific because it's different. There are various social factors that put women at greater risk of poor mental health than men. However, women's readiness to talk about their feelings and their strong social networks can help protect their mental health, which we talked about in the importance of female friendships. Women's friendships with other women help protect their mental health, providing a source of support, particularly in hard times or at times of loss or change. Mentally healthy women generally talk about their feelings more than men and more often have stronger social networks of friends and family. Good social support can play a part in preventing poor mental health and can help people recover from mental health problems. So another thing that I was reading, people think women struggle a little more because women are natural carers. Mm-hmm. meaning they're often taking care of themselves along with family members, children, spouses, parents. Women take on these roles and tend to suffer from anxiety and depression just because they feel like they have to take care of everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Women's greater emotional literacy and readiness to talk to others about their feelings and seek help may protect them from as many suicidal feelings. Being a mother also makes women less likely to take their own life. So although women experience depression more often, men die from a suicide rate at 3.5 times greater than women. Wow. So I was going to throw this out there, guys, if you or someone that you know is struggling with a mental health condition, there is an, a website where you can actually take a full anonymous screening and it's helpyourselfhelpothers.org. I love that. Yeah. So if you're embarrassed, it's completely anonymous. And you shouldn't be embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Like I said earlier, like there's 47 million other people. That number has probably grown since that post that I read. But there are so many other people that are dealing with the same exact things that you're dealing with. So it's nothing to be embarrassed about. You have three people right here that are dealing with it. So (laughs) sorry, Sam, go ahead. No, you're good. (laughs) They said depression is found most commonly in women aged 25 to 44, which makes sense to me because that's really the time in your life where you're making career changes or you're having children, you're dating, you know, stuff like that. Um, That's a lot more stressful. And one in seven women experience postpartum depression. I'm pretty sure every woman has known another woman that has dealt with this. Yes. Another thing with women, I thought this was interesting. So it said women are more likely to experience seasonal affective disorder during the winter and are more likely to notice symptoms of depression during this time. So atypical depression presents with symptoms like sleeping excessively, eating more, gaining weight, feeling guilty. While men often direct inner turmoil outward, women tend to place the blame on themselves, causing feelings of sadness and worthlessness, which I feel like we can all relate. Yeah. It says women are particularly exposed to some of the factors that increase the risk of poor mental health because of the role and status that they typically have in society. Three examples, women are overrepresented in low-income, low-status jobs, often part-time and are more likely to live in poverty than men are. Mm. Working mainly in the home, on the house, and concerns about personal safety can make women feel extremely isolated. 
And number three, physical and sexual abuse of girls and women can have a long-term impact on their mental health, especially if no support is ever received around the past abuse. Yeah. And really, if you think about it, most women during dating either experience some form of mental or physical abuse at least once. Yeah. Yep. At Um, least, minimum. But yeah, that's all I have. I was really going after the difference between men and women. Um, The gap is pretty big, but... I think women are more likely, like I said, to get help than men. And Mm -hmm. I know there has always been a big stigma, especially around men and mental health, like the way our grandparents and parents raised our generation. You know, men don't cry. I think it's really important to talk about those things for men as well. Like you said, the, the stigma around men, specifically in mental health, like the stereotyping of masculinity is what is causing these feelings in men and a lot of them will never talk about it and that's why more men commit suicide right and they feel like they can't and I think like you said before like women are more prone to sharing their feelings and talking about things but men can men can have mental illness and men can have eating disorders and addictions and men can feel insecure it's not just like a women thing like men are bullied men can cry like it is okay and I just think like you said it's so important to talk about the male aspect of it too yeah and I mean a professional help aside just women okay so the way I would talk to you guys about something I'm going through a guy probably wouldn't feel as comfortable talking to his guy friends about the same thing right Right. you know what I mean and there comes a point where your friendships have to fall below surface level if you have good people surrounding you, you should hopefully feel comfortable enough to at least try to start the conversation. It's just like you said, it is important to go deeper than surface level because when you have friendships that are beyond the surface level, your friends can recognize it at that point. You know, and, and sure, going out and going to parties and going on the lake and drinking and going to, you know, wherever you and your friend group goes, like, th- those things are all fun. Sure. But when you're left by yourself at night, who's gonna, who who's there for you to talk to, really talk to? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what matters. Yep. Before we switch to our personal discussion, we're thinking that the next week or two, we're gonna be dropping that giveaway and choosing a winner. It's time for the secret word. Da, 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 da. Madison, do you know our secret word? Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks. Make sure you listen all the way through for the next few episodes. And since we have given y'all so much information this last 30 minutes, we're going to split it up. So join us tomorrow for part two in our very personal discussion of what all three of us have dealt with between anxiety, depression, and so on. So we hope you've enjoyed this Tuesday with us and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye guys. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Uh-huh.